Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. Well, if you have your Bibles, open them please to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Is there life after death? That's the question. If our Christianity is true, and it is based upon reason, and it's based upon truth, and we're talking about reasons to believe, why do we believe? And we can use the logical arguments, the arguments of logic. Is there a God, and is He knowable? We talked about that. We looked at the different aspects. Is there a God, is He knowable? Was there a true historical Jesus that he was resurrected from the dead? Is it true that there was a resurrection from the dead? We talked about, is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible true? If all of those things are so, if there was a, if there is resurrection from the dead, if there is a God and he's knowable, and if the Bible is true and logical, then we can put those in order. A, is the Bible true? Is it reliable? B, is there a God and can we know him? C, is there a resurrection of the dead? Then it brings us to an answer of our question today. Therefore, there is life after death because the Bible says so. And that's what we're going to get to. Now there are a lot of other ideas. There's a lot of other thoughts out there. And we might try to use human reasoning. And that will get us just so far. But every civilization and every culture believes there is life after death. Why? In the book of Ecclesiastes, and I've been doing my morning Bible reading from Ecclesiastes. In chapter 3, you're familiar with, it talks about everything in its time. Everything in its time. There is a time to be born and a time to die time for peace and a time for war and all of those were familiar with that but then the next verse talks about God has set eternity in the hearts of man and he makes all things beautiful in his time makes all things beautiful in his time because God has set eternity in the heart of man that's been kind of my go-to verse, been kind of my theme throughout this series and talking about reasons to believe that eternity is set in the hearts of man. That's why every civilization, every culture believes that once you die, that's not all that there is. It goes on. Jesus, by the way, is the only, I hate to say it this way, but the only religious leader who claims to have died and come back to life. None of the Buddhas, and there are several Buddhas, died and come back. Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, did not die and come back. None of the other, Moses, and none of the other religious leaders could have said that they have died and come back. And Jesus says, I have the keys 
of hell and death. I've conquered hell and death. Science today, and you can Google that, not right now, you can Google near-death experiences, and you will get, I was amazed at all of the pages of scientific experiments and scientific examinations that have looked at near-death experiences. And they have taken some, and the, the one that was most interesting was where the brain waves stop and the heart is stopped. And then people then come back. There was one example of a woman that was on the table in surgery. Her brain waves stopped 45 minutes later and they're wheeling her down to the morgue, pushing her along. All of a sudden, she sits up. Now you can imagine that poor attendant <laughs> taking somebody off to the morgue and then, whoa, wait a minute. And so you can look at all kinds of examples of near-death experiences, and there are some that said they went down a dark tunnel. There are those that said they went toward the light. And we're going to examine what the Bible says, because science will try to attempt to explain from a medical position, well, it was just the certain medications, or it was this or that that took place. And you can look at all those near-death experiences. And every one of those people said there was life. They continued on. There was consciousness. But that's still not the argument that we want to put our hope into, is it? That's what we really think of. Psychology, and psychology is a science. It's a, considered a soft science. However, because psychology cannot be examined by testing. It cannot be, you can't, Prove it over and over in a laboratory. So that's why it's called a soft science. Also, philosophy attempt to answer this dilemma. Why should I treat people like I want to be treated? If there's no life after this, then what's it matter? I might as well go for the gusto. Just do it. Get all that I can get. I'm going to do my thing. Why should I treat somebody else with kindness? Why should I show them any respect? Why should I be honest? See, those are questions that psychology and philosophy have attempted to answer because if there is no life after death, then it doesn't matter. Might as well just eat, drink, and be merry and get all that I want and do it all my way. Well, then there's ethics. As I've given you a verse there in your handouts, Judges 21, 25, one of the saddest verses of all of the Bible. In those days there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They just did what they wanted to do. We are living in that kind of an age, huh? There was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's why we have law, because law says, wait a minute, you can do this, but you can't do that. This is acceptable, and you can go that far, this far now you have an infraction, or maybe you have a misdemeanor, or you have a felony. All adds up, right? That's what our law tells us. That's what our ethics tell us. But the Bible teaches there is life after death. In Luke, the 16th chapter, we're not going to go there. We're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But in Luke, the 16th chapter, beginning about verse 15 and 16, you have Jesus telling about a rich man and Lazarus. And I will just say this, that that is not a parable. Jesus says there was a certain rich man who fared sumptuously 
And then he says, there was a poor beggar named Lazarus. Now I believe that during that time when Jesus was speaking, some of those people might have actually known, oh, I knew Lazarus. I knew him. He was a beggar laying there. So they understood that Jesus was telling the story of what happened after their death. Lazarus was carried to a place called Abraham's bosom, paradise. Remember, Jesus on the cross said, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's what he told the thief, that that's where he was going. We're going to examine that a little bit more. But you see, the rich man in hell lifted up his eyes and in torments, he said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. He would tell my brothers or that maybe he would dip the tip of his finger and cool my tongue for I'm in torment. That tells us much about what happens after death. There is a place of eternal suffering and torment. and There is a place of paradise. It's interesting that the rich man had never seen Abraham. He had never known Abraham. However, he knew exactly who Abraham was. He knew exactly and could recognize that's Abraham. Why? They didn't have any pictures. They didn't have Polaroids back. I guess we don't have Polaroids anymore, huh? I, I forgot. Yeah, we don't have Polaroids anymore. Boy, am I old. <laughs> That's all I know. I am old. Well, in all of those things, we have these accounts. These are true things. And it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. The teaching that, well, I get to come back. I get to come back and if I've been good, then I go to a higher life form. If I've been bad, then I become a lower life form. You see, wrong religion and false religious ideas lead to false actions. Why is it that I will allow people to starve when there's a cow right here? We could all eat this cow, but that might be Uncle Joe. So I don't want to kill that cow. Or there are 10,000 rats here, but that's I remember Uncle Tony. Uncle Tony was a real rat in life, and I think that's Uncle Tony now. Right? So I'm not going to kill Uncle Tony and as he's come back as a rat. You see, wrong religious ideas lead to wrong actions. You know, today there's many, many people starving in India and Pakistan, but because they have a certain belief, they won't kill the rats. If they would just kill the rats, they would have enough food to feed all the population. But you see, when you have a misconception in religion and a wrong idea, then it leads to wrong action. Hi, give me a moment to update you with a bit of information. You can reach us now at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com. You can also reach us at P.O. Box 837, Valley Springs, California, 95252. Please contact us with comments, questions, or to receive handouts and printed material. We look forward to hearing from you. Now, back to the podcast. That's why we need to recognize there is life after death. And it is appointed unto man once to die. You're not going to get to come back and get a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. What we do here in this life matters. Well, that takes us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Let me read for you beginning in verse 6 through 8. And remember, we have considered the logic that if the Bible is true, if there is a God and He is knowable and He is personable, then the very best thing that we could do is understand that He wants to have a relationship with us. We have been separated by sin. So He could not have fellowship with us. And that's where Christ comes in. The historical Christ. That He has paid the price for our sin so that we can have fellowship with a loving, righteous, holy God. And now the Apostle Paul writes, inspired of God, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The Apostle Paul was a man who was living on the brink of death. Remember the Jewish people wanted him dead. Some of them even had planned his death and taken a vow that he, they would die. The Gentile people wanted him dead. There was treachery and difficult journeys in all the ways that they went. There was always illnesses, the threat of diseases. There were the robbers that occupied the edges of the highways that would pounce on the people, try to rob them or kill them. But mostly there was a hostility toward the faith. People that were against the faith, against the message, they wanted to see Paul dead. He lived on the brink of death. And Paul wants the Corinthians to know how do you deal with this. And I think it's a good lesson for us today. How do we deal when we are maybe at the brink of death? And that's why the key is in verse 6. We are always confident. And maybe your version says we are of good courage. That's what it means. We are confident or being always of good courage. And then again, he says it in verse 8. We are confident. Again, it's the idea. We are of good courage that we can face death. That we can look for It's a verb that means to be cheerful. To be cheerful and look at death? It means to have a joy, to have happiness, to be confident, to be content. And that's how Paul faced death. Confidently, contently, peacefully, patiently. In fact, he preferred death to life. For in Philippians 1.21 it says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, I would rather go be with Christ. And he goes on and he explains that very thing. He says, it's more important for you that I live, but I would rather be with the Lord. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that? That it would be far better to, de to depart and be with Christ? And here's a man who faced death triumphantly. You know, our early Christian Baptist forefathers, they faced death triumphantly because they knew there was life after death and they knew where they were going. We had a funeral for Sister Maddie Valerie at the Southgate Church. And Sister Valerie... <laughs> The funeral, we sang all the songs that she loved. We used to sing wonderful words of life. Every time I hear that song, I think of Sister Mel. Sing them over again to me, words, wonderful words of life. Sing them over again, wonderful words of, words of life and beauty, words of faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, 
beautiful words of life. Maybe that's not a song you would think that would be, because it's upbeat, you would think, ah, why would you sing that at a funeral? We would sing all kinds of songs, but it was a joyous affair. Why? Because you knew where Sister Valerie was. She was with the Lord. That was just the old body. She wasn't there. She was with the Lord. We should be homesick. Homesick enough that our funerals are joyous events. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. We should have grieving at the day of one's birth and joy at the day of one's death. In this world, we always have everything backed up. That's why I always think we should have dessert first because we do everything wrong. No. In fact, if we don't groan for heaven, I'll say this like a prisoner groans for freedom. If we don't hunger for heaven like a hungry man longs for food or a thirsty man longs for a drink of water, a soldier maybe longs for peace, something's wrong. Something's wrong. If we don't face death with joy, with anticipation, not the pain and the suffering physically necessarily that's associated with it, but death itself. If we don't face it with joy and anticipation, it's because we've come to idolize this passing world. Because we just think too much of this world. Our kids took us to Disneyland this last week and I was amazed at how people are so caught up in all of the fantasy and the materialism. And they love this world. And I thought, how sad, how sad to see how much these people love this world. Have we learned to be content with our sinful surroundings, to accept and cherish our fallenness, to overestimate our earthly relations? And then honestly, if so, we have to say, I haven't set my affections on things above, but on the things of the earth. We have to be honest when we talk about is there life after death? How then should this affect us? Paul is saying here to be of good courage. We are confident. We are of good courage knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So why we are on this side of things, we have to have the attitude of, I'm of good courage that when I close my eyes in death, I'm with the Lord. I'm immediately in His presence. In fact, if anything, it should, we, it should excite us because Paul had not a, an inordinate desire to die, but he longed to be with the Lord. He had already seen things and, and heard of things that were there, and so he faced death triumphantly, joyfully. He was looking forward. But notice, first of all, and let's just go back to verse 1. Chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I love how Paul uses some metaphors here. He is using the term tent. You're living in a tent right now. Now, if you drive through and you see some homeless people living in a tent, then that's where we are. But he says, we have a building, we have a house that we're looking for. Now, maybe you've just stayed a while in a tent, and if you live very long in a tent, you're going to want 
a house. <laughs> You're going to want somewhere else a permanent residence, right? Something better. And that's what Paul is saying here. Inspired by God, for we know if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal building from God, one that doesn't wear out. If you live very long in a tent, it's not going to be long until pretty soon it starts to get kind of tattered, kind of worn, kind of sun bleached. And that's the way this old tent that we're living in now is. And that's why he uses that. And he says, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. You see, eternity has been set in the heart of man. We want to have that better house, that real house. We want to have that place that is set from God, a habitation which is from heaven, a better home. We ought to get excited that we know that if this tent is torn down, we have a building whose maker is God. We're going to go from something that's part of this creation to something that's much better. Eternal in the heavens. Something that is greater, something is so far beyond what we could think. For this mortal will put on immortality, the scripture tells us. And this corruption is to put on incorruption. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.